All right, this is uh, the first lesson of Covenant, actually. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray. Do you guys have, we're a small enough group tonight, we don't normally do this. Do you guys uh, have any prayer requests that we can, you feel comfortable sharing with the group? We can hold before the Lord together. Perfect. Makes my job easy. Okay. For sure. Anybody heard from Janelle lately? I know she had foot surgery like a month ago or so. At least a month ago now. All right, let's pray. Lord, it's... Uh, we just come here tonight um, because we just say that uh, we need you. We need you to teach us, to mold us, to shape us by the power of your word. God, we uh, just admit our frailties and our shortcomings. Uh, we thank you that you have forgiveness for us as well, Lord, and that you do forgive us. God, just open the uh, eyes of our hearts to learning tonight. Open our ears that we might uh, see where we've been led astray in certain areas as we've gone along in your word over the years and, and maybe thought wrongly of you or of your word. Point out the er these errors by the power of your Holy Spirit. And um, we do lift up those who aren't able to be here tonight with us. Lord, we think of Emil, who's having a rough week. God, we just uh, pray for freedom for him with uh, his struggles. We pray for... I just hear peace to transcend, Lord, all barriers in his heart. God, we think of Janelle, and just she's probably at the tail end of recovering from her foot surgery, God, that you would just get her back up on her feet. Lord, I know they've got a little one as well, and, and that's just got to be trying. And, um, and for Desmond, Lord, we just pray for his time in BC, that it would be going well, that he'd be honoring you, Lord. And thank you just for everyone here tonight. Lord, bless us. Thank you for keeping us. We love you, and thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, Covenant 1. Uh, tonight's lesson on Lot, or Abraham, Lot, and... Abram. Abram, sorry. Well, we'll get there. Well, that's funny, actually. You shouldn't... You should more say Abraham, Sarai, and Lot. It looks like Sodom is a person, but Sodom is not a person. It's a place. Hello, hello. <laughs> Join us if you'd like. Um, you might not know this, but this is kind of halfway of 101. Hence the balloons. Hey, Dave. <laughs> Hence the balloons. So there's, there's the party. Yay, there's the cookies. Yay. <laughs> so this, this begins the, the, the third sort of module, if you want to say, of the four components of 101. Um, we decided to break it down into bite-sized pieces so people don't feel as overwhelmed. You guys feeling not too overwhelmed? Pretty good? Um, if you want to use one of these tonight, hang on to it. Um, yeah, so kind of exciting. I'm excited. Um, sometimes we can, uh, we're kind of in the thick of it and you know, we're partway through the winter here. Uh, it's good just to kind of zoom out a little bit and see where we are in the scope. Um, you guys have been looking at this picture of the house, you know, every beginning and end of our PowerPoint. The 101, remember we are down here. Uh, we're laying just the, 
the, the foundational stones of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Son of God, and Father God, who was there in the beginning, before eternity, or before time began, eternity passed. So we have the footings here of the triune God. And then we've just been drawing out more and more uh, through the stories that are in the Bible, the history, sinfulness and helplessness of mankind, of humanity, that uh, we continually see these uh, stories pointing to a redeemer, a deliverer, a rescuer um, from Adam and Eve onward. And uh, we see expressions of, of people's belief and repentance, even though the word repentance isn't used. And, uh, and that's, that's just the pillars of, of where we're going with, with Establish. Um, so it's Genesis to John is where we're going, mixing in a bit of the Gospels. Um, and then next year, Lord willing, 102 uh, is covering, again, it's still Genesis to John, but it's coming at it from a totally different angle. 101 is more evangelistic. 102 is, is more on towards believers in a sense. I know that many of you guys are believers, but that's just more identifying through the stories rather than emphasizing sort of the, the faith and repentance. It's more seeing their security in Christ in the Old Testament as they were looking forward, that forbearance as they were going to the New Testament time. Um, and then again, the Gospels are integrated. And then as we get into like the 103, which we're totally still writing in 104, 105, uh, that will cover off Acts, Romans, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, Titus, 1 Thessalonians, Revelations. Um, and then you have a house that you'll continue to build. Um, but yeah, it's just, just to kind of zoom out, lift our eyes up, look where we're at. Again, too often we, we kind of are building, you know, somewhere's up here or we're building, you know, our, our, our faith on just the Gospels, but we don't understand the footings. And, uh, and too often that's when our house gets a little wobbly, our, our house, of, house of faith, if you want to say, can get a little wobbly if we don't have uh, sort of good structure, theological structure built in through good teaching, um, through foundational teaching. So any questions with, with that? Do you, think, do you guys think you could explain that, that kind of... In, in your own words, what that picture is, if someone was to be like, what do you mean foundational Bible teaching? Even if you didn't have the books of the Bible at the top there, do you guys think you could kind of articulate it? If I was to cover it up or just take out all the words, if I said to you, what is, why is foundational Bible learning important? Or is it important? How would you guys respond to somebody? Why don't, why don't I just cut to the chase? You know, I, I always tell everyone, read... Read the book of John. You want to know Jesus? Read the book of John. You want to come to faith? Read the book of John. What about the rest of the story? How would you articulate it now? Or maybe you always would have, but... Right, yeah. The book of John, for example, even if you, and you may have used this at the, the beginning, that uh, even in chapter one, it presumes a certain amount of understanding about, about God and what he has done. It's, uh, it's, it's, John isn't self-explanatory. Right, yeah. Just as the Son of Man must be lifted up, or just as the Son of Man was lifted up, in the, or how does it go again? Just as a serpent in the desert was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Wait a second. That's right in John. What? What? Why? Who's lifting up snakes? Where? You know? <laughs> yeah. And also I think like Becky was saying, 
unless you have that foundational knowledge. Because mm-hmm. it, it would be meaningless without the understanding that there's a holy God who's also loving. You know, like, and because we're sinful, he needs, he, he needed to do something to save us. So. Yeah, getting the full picture. Yeah. I mean, some of you, I, I recognize, would have begun here knowing the importance of, you know, the foundations, even if you might not have called it that. For those of you maybe who are here that didn't begin there when you first came, um, how would you, how would you ar- articulate that now of, of, of the foundations, understanding the foundations? Because I think, I think some of you who've answered so far, maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, would have come already, believing the importance of the old, Old Testament or the foundations? Or just feel free to answer that in your head too if it's a tricky question. Um, cool. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this. I hope you guys are uh, growing in, in just, yeah, the importance of understanding how God has laid out his word, why he or had it organized in the way that it is organized. Um, and, and that was very intentional. It wasn't just a smattering of books and shuffled together and uh, that should work, right? It was, it was entrusted um, to men of God to have it as it is. Um, does anybody want to share? I know I, I kind of have laid off this question for a while. Has anybody had opportunity to kind of share what we're learning with anybody along the way or any truths or seeing it apply in their life in different ways? Have you guys kind of been going through the week and saying, oh yeah, that's right. I did get that lie up on the piece of paper and here I am picking it up again. Sorry, you guys are cutting. I'm not expecting you guys to, to always pitch in on that. But. I think Carolee uh, appreciated the lap two weeks ago, uh, the um, rescue and judgment of Noah's flood. And, and she ended up kind of teaching that in her Sunday school class. And, and that came around a couple days later. Oh, cool. I'm glad it was helpful. <laughs> Coming up. That what he said is coming up. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. But nice. Like the, the whole like how God had a rescue plan even back then for Adam and Eve, and even in the garden, he went to Christ and kind of that water lesson was. I think that was. I don't know. Right on. Um. So tonight I gave you guys that 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 colorful. Uh, piece of paper with um, attributes of God, some aspects of man in there as well. And uh, so start stewing on that as we think of our last lesson, which was, I'll give you a little flash here. This was our last lesson. So start ruminating on on how you might articulate God's attributes through uh, the story of Babel. But while you're stewing on that, the others who are not stewing, um, I would like someone to, to come up and, and uh, tackle sort of the review on, on where, we've gotten, where we've covered so far. Would somebody like to come up and just like, you know, 15 seconds on sort of these uh, first several slides? How God's character is revealed in creation, man's image, why Satan was kicked out, what happened in the garden when they fell, Sure. Tommy knew he said 15 seconds. Well, whatever. (laughs) As he is gracious, so we are gracious. You tell me when to move the slide along. Okay, so um, so 
starting off both with God's Word and um, the whole creation account is that because God is the only eyewitness, it's his authority that we go by. And um, so God inspired his Word. And then all throughout creation, we see the uh, design of God, his holiness, his perfection, um, and also just the structure, the order, everything he made was good, in order and well. And um, in the midst of creating, you know, the animals and the angels, in the splendor, um, he also then created man in his image for um, a personal relationship with him. And then these angels, there was Lucifer who decided that he wanted to rebel against God. And um, it wasn't a fair fight. God just cast him out of heaven in disgrace and those who rebelled with him. And so then, Lucifer now Satan made it kind of his goal to wage war against God. And so um, targeting humans, those he created. And um, Think of some of think of some of God's attributes and why He kicked him out. Right. Um, oh, yeah. um, the holiness of God, you know, He cannot tolerate any evil. So any pride, any evil that cannot be tolerated in His presence, and then also in His sovereignty, you know, He's all powerful, and so then, as the owner of all, He can decide what punishment He He maxes out. wonderful abundant garden that God puts them in out of his love for them and his generosity and he gives them a choice either eat of the tree of life or he gives them tree, two trees the tree of life and the knowledge of good and evil among all the other trees and he desires for them to have the tree of life and there is for a time perfect relationship however Satan does come tempts them, and Adam and Eve both, or I guess Eve, believes the temptation and takes fruit in Adam. He also believes, either believes lie or chooses simply to disobey God's command to him and takes it as well. And so then immediately we have corruption, but um, God, who is holy and just, is also very merciful and patient and reaches out to them, desiring for a restoration of relationship. And, um, Would you say people at that time were acting proudly or humbly? Well, out of their pride, thinking they know better than God, and even too with sowing the fig leaves, thinking that they can cover up for the shame they now feel. They can solve the problems. And then when God approaches them and asks them to get done, again, they respond in pride admitting their wrong, but rather blaming others. And they, um, as a result, they do have to leave the garden. You have this introduction then of death, spiritually as well as or than the first animal death to clothe them properly. And that's a good point, kind of just right in where you are to mention that. That is what we know as the fall, the fall yeah. of mankind. If you, maybe you said it, but... I did. So. <laughs> um, and then 
there, now all of mankind is corrupted by sin. There's the separation, so Adam and his first two sons, Cain and Abel, um, they have, they bring an offering to God, and Abel in humility brings an offering that is acceptable to God, coming in God's way, and he's accepted, whereas Cain in his pride comes his own way, and is not accepted. Still, reach out to King, pursuing that relationship. He's gracious, giving him another chance. But instead, King does continue in pride and in rebellion, and decides to kill his brother. And what is God's way? He um, said, "Abel." God's way would be um, a blood sacrifice, a first lamb. Okay, from that lesson, I'll just pause you there a little bit. We know going forward that there was a lot of implications with that, but I think the part that we emphasized in that lesson was that God's way was by faith. Um, I mean, I do think there was a lot of implications. Yes, blood sacrifice we see with Adam and Eve. There was a blood sacrifice so that they could be covered for with an adequate covering. But I think with, with Abel at that time, what he might know and all that we can expound at that point in the scripture is either the quality of the, of the offering, the heart of the giver, or the offering exact itself, and so by way by by faith, yeah. Um, and then we, and there we have the continued spiral of mankind down just of evil. And so we have Noah, and he walks with God by faith, and by faith he believes God when God tells him that He's going to send a flood to destroy all of mankind. Okay, I'll pause you there, and I'll get someone else to take over that last one as a review. That was really good, Brett. Thanks, man. Round of applause for Brett. <laughs> I think he's like the first one to tackle start to finish so far. I don't know if we've done that yet all the way through one person. Um, anybody want to contribute anything that you were like, it was screaming at you, or was it good? Was it good enough? I'm not saying anything was necessarily screaming at me, but anything you guys want to add along the way? Good, good. All right, Brett, you get the approval of your peers. Okay. It's <laughs> all about. <laughs> yeah. So then does one person want to take that sheet with you and uh, come up here and, and uh, just kind of do a, a review? Again, drawing out why God is the hero kind of idea, his attributes, uh, people's problem, and the hook basically of the last lesson. Who wants to talk about it for us? Take a few minutes to do it. I'm not doing it.
Anyone? Anyone? <laughs> Going to pick. Will that be easier? <laughs> Amy, have you have you come up yet? A good exercise for staying awake is walking. <laughs> Why you want to walk up here and give it a shot? Yeah, it's bright. We could put you right in the center of the bulb shining. Yeah, just yeah, just what you see. It's not that you have to like. It's not that you get uh, bingo if you get every one incorporated, but but just yeah, kind of what you see. Were you here last week? Yeah, just what you see as God's attributes through what He commanded through the story of the Tower of Babel. Babel. Never know how to say it. Slowed. As you, yeah, yeah, just oh, incorporate okay. as you see. Okay. Which you did us some already too. Like you were talking about, like the pride yes. of man. And that they had a choice to obey or not. Yes. So then the people will remain in their sin debt, and um, they're still made by God and made in God's image. It's just marred now by sin. And he still desired a relationship with people, so he didn't wipe them all out. That's all I can think of at the moment. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Thanks for obliging me. Um, yeah, really good. This is just opportunity to practice, and I know a lot of you guys, or maybe you will, but some of you won't uh, be teaching in a crowd like this, so it maybe feels a little more awkward, but uh, I think just the more opportunities we can get to roll this stuff off our lips, the better it is at even... You see that person on the street, and they're like, I just don't get how the God of the Old Testament is the same God who, you know... Yeah, there was no grace in the Old Testament. It was just wrath. And like, oh, you know what? I can tell you really quick. Like, 
give me a story. Give me the flood. I'll tell you why God's grace was there, how it was there. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? That you can articulate it quickly. Because um, we do hear that. At least I hear that a lot. It's like, there was no grace in the Old Testament. It was all vengeance and wrath and all that. But, oh, the New Testament, that's, that's the God of grace. And it's like, well, no, it's the same God. And it was all there from the start, from before the start. Um, yeah, awesome. And, uh, and I mean, we just see this perpetual cycle of, uh, of beings trying to defy God and holy, just God says, no, <laughs> basically I am sovereign. There is only one, just me. And we just continue to see the cycle. We see it with Satan where he didn't get more than one chance. It was one chance he was out. But with mankind made in God's image, he, God just lovingly continually comes back to them, initiating, pursuing uh, wanting to restore a degree of relationship. It can never, in that time, be as good as what it was before the fall. Um, but in forward-looking, it can be. And, uh, and God just, again, chance upon chance upon chance. He gives people to, to come his way, which is by faith. And God provides the solution, not man. The fig leaves don't work. The, 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 the bitter offering of fruit and vegetables didn't work. You know, people laughing at Noah and thinking they knew better didn't work. The tower didn't work. You know, we just, we're going to see these cycles over and over and over. It's just the same story through different events of history over and over and over. God's holiness, God's goodness, God's care, God's mercy, God's grace, graciousness, and man's sinfulness that just loves darkness and continues to push back. Okay, that's our giant review. That was okay. It was only like 25 minutes. So, here we have... The lineage of the deliverer. Um, it's interesting as we, as we step into Abram, uh, we have him, where is he right here? Why don't I see you? Thank you. That's why I don't see you. There he is. My pen wasn't working at first. Um, Abraham down there. It's interesting as we kind of draw from Adam, these kind of main, main people here, at least that we've highlighted on this chart, Enoch, Noah, and Abraham down there at the bottom. I'm just looking at the different events here. You see um, Noah, when the flood happened right up here, who was still around? Lamech was around just to the end there. Um, you go down to Tower of Babel. Noah was still around because he was living through this time. Down to Peleg. Um, Abraham, it looks like, I think if this is right, is that, I don't want to skew the line, but it says 2006, 2008. Maybe they died a couple years apart, or Noah died a couple years apart. But all this to show there wasn't big gaps between, um, like, in, in having the story pass on, like the flood. It's like, it's not that that was like a distant, long forgotten legend. It was history. It was in recent history. And we just continue to see this downward spiral of, of mankind in, in rejecting God and um, but then we get, to, we get to Abraham, and we start to see some pretty awesome things happening. Um, and we'll unpack that tonight. But, uh, yeah, just fascinating to me to see this chart, to see who was alive when, and see the overlap of people. You know, you kind of ask yourself, did like, all these guys know each other? Or, like, did they not know each other? I mean, yeah, with the dispersion of people after Babel. But interesting to study and look at. So tonight, our hook is going to be, or is, God is faithful to his promises. Um, there's some other things drawn out about a covenant, um, God honoring choice, 
And God not only allows consequence, there is consequence for sin, um, which we've seen time and again. So we'll unpack a lot of these kind of the promises and the covenant and what that meant. So the overall story, here's our pictures here. Uh, The overall story is God speaks to Abram to go to an unfamiliar land with his family. And through this journey that Abram takes, God makes several promises to him. And Abram continues to, as he continues to obey and he does listen to God, uh, he continues to grow with his wealth, amassing animals and, and, and land. His nephew Lot, uh, so Abraham's father, Haran, uh, had Lot, so that's Abraham's nephew, uh, comes with him and he also gains wealth. Um, Abraham continually honors, or sorry, not continually, but Abraham overall obeys God, honors God with his life. Lot was declared righteous, as we'll see in Peter uh, later on in the study tonight, was declared righteous by God, but poorly choose to live in an immoral place. Uh, we know of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, when he and his uncle split and went different ways because there was some contention. And God commands his angels eventually to destroy these cities, these sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for their great sins against God, first and foremost. God ends up saving Lot, but the cities are destroyed. Um, the residents did not live another day. God's judgment and wrath on their sin came to pass. And it's, it's similar to the flood where we just see a very, in this world, play out of God's wrath on sin. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, and the, the, that's the pictures we have for, we use the last one for our chart there, the, the destruction of Sodom. And so, yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll unpack this story tonight. Um, we'll pick up the story uh, of Abraham, Sarai, in Haran. And so God originally spoke to them while they were living in Haran. So let's read as God uh, tells them what to do. Um, if you remember kind of where they are in the world, modern-day Iraq. Um, here, we'll dial it in a little closer. Um, we'll be in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Somebody could read that for me. I would appreciate it. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So what, what did God just tell Abraham to do? Leave. Leave. Yeah. Leave and follow. <laughs> kind of simple. Leave his home, leave his family, leave, leave his people. Uh, go to a land that God would show him. What are the promises that we see here? Yeah, make him a great nation. Bless him. You will be. You will bless others. Bless others. Yeah. Yeah, name will be great. Those who bless him will be blessed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Curse those that curse him, bless those that bless him. And at the end there too, all people will be blessed through you. Again, a hint back with the Redeemer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, Very good. Make him a great nation. Bless him, make him a blessing, and make him a blessing. Give him a great name. Bless those who bless him, curse those who curse him. 
and bless all families on earth through him. Um, who initiated these promises? Abraham? Abram? Who did? The Lord. Lord God. Yeah, the eternal triune God. He initiated these promises with Abram. Because Abram deserved them, right? He had a righteous living that brought about God's favor in his life. Pardon? I need you guys to call out my heresy. No. Okay, just checking. Right. God's graciousness, God's mercy, God's love and goodness here. And, and he has a plan in play. We know this from the promise back in Genesis 3 with, with uh, Adam and Eve. He's got, a, he's got a sovereign plan that's playing out here, and he's using Abraham. Abram. So God being perfect and faithful, he was, wasn't going to break his promise. So we have all these I wills in the Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Um, here, I'll highlight them there for you guys. What did God mean that all the families on earth would be blessed through Abram? Kevin kind of briefly touched on it, but what, would you guys, what do you guys see? What did God mean that all families on earth would be blessed through Abram? Through his lineage, the Redeemer will come. Right, yeah. He'd be his descendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2,000 years had passed <clears throat> since God first promised to send the Deliverer in Genesis 3.15. God can never ever break a promise especially you would think of his deliverer to humanity his holy character guarantees it so as we go through the word we're just going to see more and more revelation about how the deliverer will come um so yeah you think of it back here with adam and eve that's when the promised deliverer was first spoken of and adam and eve could put, come to God by faith and wait all this time for the deliverer to come. 2,000 years. It's a long time. <laughs> but God continued in his steadfastness because he is not changing. He is steady. He is sure. Um, we have here this chart that you'll probably see more and more as we continue to develop it. The promise that we saw in Genesis 3.15 will be born of a woman, a virgin, the deliverer will be. Satan will bruise his heel. That's also in Genesis 3.15. Will destroy the power of Satan's sin in the lake of fire. 3.15, Isaiah 53 as well. And, and where we're at now, that we're adding on, will descend from Abram. What I'll end up doing is kind of, eventually I'll have a chart that'll sort of split it here and we'll say, you know, fulfilled here. And we'll write the verses or the scriptures there as, as we get to it. Do you, think we'll, do you think we'll be able to fulfill it? Do you think we'll see it fulfilled in the word? Pretty good? 50. 50. 50 ah, get out of here. You have not learned a single thing. <laughs> um, how much of what God promised, I kind of was joking about this already, how much that, that God promised Abraham uh, was, on what it, was because of what Abraham did? None of it. How about for us today? How much of what God does for us today is because of what we are? Nothing. That's right. Nothing. Nothing that we can see in this passage. It was all dependent on God and what he would do. So this is an amazing promise that was given to a sinner. He was born also in the line of Adam. He was also born with a sindat rope, which I've nicely added here for these folks. So he's got his sin nature with a propensity, desire to, to love darkness, to love sin. God makes his promise with this guy. He was born separated from God. 
Why would God make these promises to him? If we, if we carefully study several chapters around in this here of Genesis that talk about Abram, we would see again and again that Abram kind of was obedient to God, but then would waffle, but humbled himself, came to God through faith and submitted to God's way, and again, continued forward in faith. Um, so then, in, uh, I have this cool little chart here, which is actually from uh, thebibleproject.com. And I'll play something from that here right away. In God's grace, he initiated a word that we don't, something that we don't use in the same terms today, a covenant with Abram. A covenant is, isn't a term that we use today. I'm going to let uh, the Bible Project guys unpack it because they do it so concisely. Just uh, about a three minute, I'll play just the first part. Um, so have a look at this. Whoops. I hope, uh, I hope it'll be loud enough because it just plays through the speakers there. Actually, you know what I can do? I'll do this. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right? right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have failed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain and the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah, saying, Listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant, is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. We're just going to leave it at there for now. Um, so that gives you guys a pretty good idea of what is a covenant. So watching that, were your minds engaged? What is a covenant? 
Partnership, yeah? With the goal of restoration. With goal of restoration, okay. Kind of like us bringing all the families of the earth together back to God. Yeah, yeah, so there's, there's a, it's a relationship. There's two, sounds like at least two parties. You said a partnership, so there's got to be somebody to partner with. Uh, restoration. Um, I like the handshake idea where the, like it's showing God's hand on the right there, the white one being promises um, and commitments on the left. And again, with, with Noah, there wasn't a commitment that God asked him or a stipulation. He just said, the sign is a rainbow. I will not kill the entire world by a flood again. That was a kind of a one-sided covenant. Um, then with Abram now, there, we're going to see, and we've touched on a bit of it already, some of the commitments or stipulations that he's talking to Abraham about. You've, right away, we've already read, leave your land and follow me. So there, there's a commitment he's asking Noah to have there. Um, and then we'll see some stipulations. But God was just saying there was also promises. God, God had all these I wills that we just looked at. So like, what is a covenant? I just jotted it down here as a covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other. One is kind of promise. They can be both promises or promise commitment to each other and work together to reach a common goal, so to speak. But obviously when it's God centered, it's his goal and he's doing the work. (laughs) Um, So covenant promise, commitment and stipulations. God makes all these promises to Noah and, uh, and God will just continue to reiterate, decree some of these covenants along the way through the word. We'll see them popping up. But I just really want you guys to grasp covenant really strong, kind of like we had our, our Sindet ropes and we continue to use that concept along the way. Um, a covenant is a very important one to have a solid grasp of going forward. Um, so yeah, with God's covenant, it's a promise, and other people have commitments or, or stipulations. So in, in establishing a covenant with Abram, there were requirements for Abram to, f- to fulfill. Leave his land, follow God. So let's read how God views his covenants. I don't have this one on the PowerPoint, so you've got to continue to track with me into the Psalms. Psalm 105, verse 8. Psalm 105, verse 8. So it says here, He always stands by his covenant, referring to God, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. And right in 9 there, I'll just kind of touch on it. This is the covenant he made with Abram. So he's saying right there, he stands by his covenant that he made to Abram. Here he's referred to as Abraham. How does this describe God's commitment to his covenants? He's completely committed. Completely committed, yeah. He never will break his promises, regardless of humanity's response. It's that binding. The big problem we'll discover as we read the Bible is God is making a covenant. Remember, God is all-knowing. He knows the way it's going to go every time he extends his handshake, so to speak, with humanity. He's making covenants with sinful people, broken people. And even though he won't break his side of the covenant, people who can do break their part of the covenant. 
let's contrast this. <clears throat> God all-knowing, knowing, knowing the, the, the way that every man would go, every woman, every child, over the world, when he made his promise to bless all the people. When he said all, he meant all. This is how much he desires to bless, but will we believe him? What, what are some of the promises, bringing this down to us here, what are some of the promises of God that you hold on to? Maybe our, your favorite, if you want to say. They could be overarching ones. The big ones. That he'll make the new you. But it's, it's him doing it. That's why I guess I, I, I sort of disagree to a certain extent uh, with the definition of covenant. Because I think it's a really common belief, I think, that, that covenants come with stipulations. But I don't think that that is always the model. Um, because the new covenant, for one, doesn't say anything about stipulations. There is nothing. It just says, I will change your heart. Yeah. I will put my law in your heart. And um, You're right. Like that's With Noah, that's why I was saying there wasn't a stipulation. Yeah. It was just a decree. But, but it was... Not a, but like where, where I think people go, go wrong is some of them are, are... Like the Mosaic Covenant has blessings and curses, and so it feels almost like a contract. And this, you know... The covenant comes from God. It's not, it's not equal. Right. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And that when you sometimes when you look at a definition like that, you think, yeah, like I'm not saying that that's what it's trying to say, but you, yeah, that it, it, it this give and take that God does His part and I do mine. And I'm not sure that that is the overarching. I don't think that a, co- a definition of covenant that says that could be quite right because we know that not all of the covenants are done that way. Right, yeah, it's not, it's not a definition that covers all covenants, you're right. It can be. It's more, it, it, that, like, and, 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 and there's a tendency, like, especially in Presbyterian circles, to take the Mosaic covenant and make that the model for how all covenants are understood, hmm. that there would be blessings and curses uh, depending on your obedience to the covenant as a person. But it just doesn't seem like that's always true because quite often people are very much not obedient to the covenant and yet, you know, mm-hmm. God blesses the same way. I mean, with Abraham, it seemed like there was a level of a stipulation because he asked him to, to get up and go and follow him. So he, there was a response to be had that began. I mean, he, he prefaced it with, I will do these things. So God's sovereignty knew that it would play out. Um, but it seemed like Abraham responded. Oh, he did. He did, although, like, you know, they doubted it pretty consistently as well. Although it does, somewhere it says, you know, you're blessed because when he's going to offer up Isaac, that there's this implication that because of that faith, hmm. you know, he was going to be blessed. But God promised this stuff long before Abraham ever offered up his son Isaac. And so I think there's an inevitability to the world being blessed through Abraham that I don't believe Abraham could have ever thought. Hmm. 
Anybody want to contribute? Covenants, understanding of covenants? For sure, and yeah. Like how God is God alone would be the one to fulfill his promises because obviously Abraham couldn't. Right. Like, yeah. So like just mere man. Sort of another scripture passage about Abraham. Yeah. Specifically and his covenant with God, where it's all God. Yeah. Like there, there's, uh, I've heard, I've heard, like a couple. Uh, definitions of covenant that don't include the stipulations, and one of them is just a solemn promise, and and uh, you know not a regular promise, but like a really solemn promise. And another one I've heard that is a bit confusing, but it gets to the heart of, of you know how they said there's a there's a bond there it's beyond uh, a, just a regular promise. There's there's a connection between the person and God, right? That's something like a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. It's like God reaching down and making a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I think there's an element of both of those two, two uh, in common with all of the covenants. Yeah, it is. It is very complex to package neatly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the overarching that I think is amazing is God's sovereignty. He's doing the heavy lifting, oh, yeah. Yeah. clearly. Like you said, Abram's not going to do what God is saying he, God will do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I think it's a beautiful picture of God bending down again, coming down, initiating, pursuing, making sure that his promises, earlier promises, will continue forward. Do you have a thought? It looks like you keep well, almost... <laughs> Comes and says, 
you know, do not be afraid of them. Just chapter 15, verse 1. For I will protect you, and you, your reward will be great. And then Abram says, well, this is still the problem with me not having a child, God. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. Um, and then verse 5, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That is how many descendants you will have. Mm-hmm. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So just there somehow in connection you know when we talked about Hebrews 11 and how we looked at Noah you know uh, building the ark you know out of faith and uh, Abel uh, bringing a better sacrifice because you know in faith and so on yeah somewhere in there no that's very good is that the closest thing to us having a side in yeah, I think that's well put. Thank you, Tony. That's really good to bring that in, because that's what it's about. <laughs> or, like you say, that's that's our component. <laughs> Believing. Yeah. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. <laughs> Job 38, 18. Yeah, yeah. Is it is a little faith a gift from God? Yeah. Yeah. Ephesians 2 8. Yeah. Yeah. This is not of yourselves. It's a beautiful thing. It is a gift from God, but in that passage, it's salvation. That's a gift from God. I like this. Keep going. Well, you're, you're, sorry, go ahead, Tim. It's just down a different rabbit trail, so if you're just pertaining to the. <laughs> well, I'm just getting back to the original question. <coughs> oh, then. Yeah, yeah. What was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> what is the covenant? No, the original question. You asked us what are some of your favorite promises. All right. <laughs> How did you get us here, Andrew? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even remember him asking a question. <laughs> right. he, he did no, we had a good rabbit trail. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Okay, do we, do we want to... Do, is there anything more before you answer that? that well, just on the idea of covenant is a different one. is the idea that a covenant from the point of God is actually a, a pointless endeavor. The, the, only, the idea of a covenant for making it a big deal was for man's benefit. It was just the idea of, you see later on in the New Testament, like there's a passage that says, don't promise this or promise that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And God being perfect, if he says something, he knows it will happen. But like I guess the example i see with people, if you could trust people, and if people weren't inherently evil, the idea of like when they were being saved from Egypt, he could have just said, all you have to do is just say, we will follow you and I'll pass over your house. But God knowing the intent of man as being purely evil, the idea is like, no, I need you to do an action. I want you to do an action to go forward. And so the idea of let your yes be yes and you know me no is fine when it comes to a perfect being God. And so the idea of a covenant where he makes a bigger deal, where he gives us a sign, where he, he does something else with it, 
was always for our benefit, which just shows even more so the idea of God needing or, or wanting that relationship with us. He did, it wasn't for his benefit that he needed to make it a, a bigger thing. Um, yes, it is important, and, and he does typically make it a, a bigger deal of it on the more important issues, but again, it's, it's for our benefit, not because he needs to, because all he'd have to do is just say it, and it would be so, mm-hmm. or it, and it would happen. His, his word is his word, and it'll be promised, whether he says, I promise her, I make this covenant. Mm-hmm. Is the, the thought I was having. Yeah, good yeah, thought. He, walked through, he went through the pieces of animals for, our, for Abraham's benefit. Yeah. Not, not because, because he, he needed, needed to. to. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey? Cool. Hang on, you, you had something, Amy, hey? Well, yeah, just a simple one. Never want to leave you normal with the person. Awesome. Because, you know, when you go through really hard times, when everything else has been taken away, I'm very thankful that he does not get taken away. <laughs> hmm. I really like to kind of bring it in at this point where, um, kind of a challenge to myself as well, well, of course to myself as well, but to all of us, is if we don't, if, if we don't know the word, if we don't know the promises of God, when, when the, the winds of the enemy buffet us, you have so much less to hold to. But you know the word and you know what God has got going for you. It's so reassuring. You, you, I hear these stories of people that are you know, in prison for their faith or this or that, and what they have in their mind, the truth that they have, is what, they, is what they've got, in a sense. I mean, they've got God. But the, what they've stored up, treasured in their heart, what God's written in their minds and their hearts is there. So it's, it's an encouragement, I think, to all of us just to, to make sure we know the promises of God. Because um, I'm sure in our lifetime, tougher times could come. Like it's just with the idea of like knowing the promises. Will. Well, I'm just saying in our lifetime. They will come. Will they come in our lifetime? Yeah. What's that? They will come, yeah. But the idea, because I know, like I used to kind of hold to the idea, like you hear a lot of people saying in today's culture, is the idea of like, well, why would you want to bring children into today's society kind of thing? It's like you're not doing them any favors. Society's just getting worse. And, and like I, in ways, I bought into that lie. And then uh, we had done a study on the book of Revelation. And it was neat because like you, you start looking more specifically at the truth of who God is and his character. And is the idea of, Look, all these promises that we have, are, yeah, society can still be getting worse, but the idea of being able to bring a life into this world for the purpose of knowing who Christ is, like there is no greater joy uh, mm. for that. And so it's like, yeah, be stoked to bring someone into this life so that they can ultimately know who Christ is and Christ be glorified. And because we have that promise that one day he will come again. And so for me, that, that's the greatest promise we have is that Jesus is coming back. Amen. And so... 
it is kind of a different way of looking at it. And the, the truths we believe really change our perception on, mm-hmm. on how we look at life. Mm-hmm. And the decisions we make, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly what shape our decisions. Is there promises of God that you guys kind of flipping this around? Is there promises that you've struggled to trust in or believe in that are in the word? Or maybe that you aren't even sure, maybe you're not even sure what the promises are, so maybe that might be too much for some of us, but some of us that have struggled through promises of God, maybe you're like, oh, that's for everyone else, or I don't see that playing out for me, or, or you don't think God's going to deliver on that. I think sometimes just in terms of you know, conviction of your own sin, um, it can be difficult to imagine, I guess, that you know, Christ's sacrifice really does you know, uh, save even you. you know? um, maybe, not, maybe, maybe not so that you totally lose hope, Yeah, thanks for being honest with that. There have been times where it's been very hard to believe that God will work out everything for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, related to that, I think, to believe that His purposes are good, that's the word hard. Yeah. Yeah, when you're, you're hunting for the silver lining, so to speak. <laughs> show me the silver lining, God. Show me the silver lining, please. And he has no obligation to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just bringing it in. and I mean, just w- go home and talk with your families about this. And, and bring it back to what we were reading tonight. Where all the places God said, I will. And looking back at what we've already covered. Has God followed through on everything that he said he would do so far? Yep. I mean, even recently... He wanted everyone to scatter. They didn't. He made sure they did. Everyone was wicked. He was troubled with the way people were in Noah's day. And he said he would send a flood. Did he? He did. We just got to go back to the word and and just see the the reliability, the trustworthiness. I think it was John Piper said, like, teach your kids that God is trustworthy. Show show your kids that God is trustworthy. I like that. I, I work at that with my kids to show them in the word and in life that God is trustworthy because then you can take these promises and know that they're true, that they will happen. So uh, where are we at here? Good tangents, good tangents. Genesis, or not tangents, this is all relevant. Genesis uh, 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land I will show you. Full stop. Did God tell Abram where he was sending him? Nope. No. What did he say? Get up and go. Get up and go. Yeah. And I will show you. That would be an important detail for me. If I was bringing that many people, that much. A- What's that? Exactly. Yeah. How did Abram respond? So Abraham went 
Yeah, verse 4. So Abraham departed. All right. It's not like, you know, I think of being a bachelor and like, you know, the Holy Spirit tugging on my heart to go, you know, minister, you know, in Alaska when I used to live in Yellowknife. And like, all right, quit my job, sell as much as I could on Kijiji, off I go. And people are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. Like, look at this guy. Like, he was wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. More than the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, with grandma rocking on the top of the car. <laughs> it's kind of the image I have in my head. Without this detail, Abraham departed. He went. He trusted. Let's, uh, let's read this part here where, where it begins with that here. Let's read it together on the board or on the projector. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So there's a, there's a picture of, you know, he's probably got grandma up here, in, you know, in a rocking chair. And uh, there's uh, the three of them, Abram, Abram Lot, and uh, Sarai, his wife. They're sheep, you know, just, I mean, I bet this is just a minuscule idea of what it would have looked like of him getting up and leaving. So he responded obediently, would you say? He departed. That was obedience. He packed up everything. He moved his, everything he had, all his worldly possessions. Who also responded with Adam in faith? It looks like Lot. Yeah, it seems like Lot. His wife. His wife. Yeah. I think the three of them. So Abraham chose to obey. We have uh, the map here again. Um, have a peek here. It would have been a long journey. It says in, in Ezra 7, chapter 7, verse 9, uh, says that this was a four-month journey of traveling just straight through. Yeah. That would take a while. Is that, was that including all their stuff? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Still, like, yeah. I mean, it's speculative, but they're just kind of, yeah. From Ezra there, it's about as good as, good as we can get. It's like a real life Oregon trail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> take me back to elementary. Sorry, how long was it supposed to Ezra 7 9 says it, it, was, it was about a four month journey if it was just straight on through. Probably like a single person on a single animal, not a caravan. Yeah. Was that a camel? Was that a racehorse? I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So as we read the story of Abram, we see he had another choice. Would Abram fulfill his part of the covenant that God initiated, um, which was to leave his land and follow God? Kind of we're touching on a bit of that already. Um, let's continue to go deeper to see another challenge. <laughs> remember, remember the Tower of, of Babel? It was not, we didn't talk really, I don't think we got into this much. There might have been some side chatter I'd heard about this last week. It wasn't just a random tall tower. Um, but it was, it was about worshipping other gods. Let's read what it says in, in Joshua 24. If you guys want to go there with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua, what? 
So we'll just read the read the first, read uh, just verse two here. Joshua said to the people, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods." So. Uh, da, da, da. They worshipped other gods. We have a picture here of, a, of an idol bowing down to them, bowing down to an idol. Did Abraham come from this, uh, you know, Christian family? No. No. They worshipped other gods and idols. So that, that's kind of where he was coming from. The Tower of Babel onwards, Abraham. Like this is just, we're linking the stories here, right? His, his dad was an idol worshipper. And yet, when God called Abram, he, Sarai, and Lot, by faith, humbly believed God and went God's way. Both, I think, in their hearts, by faith, they believed, and practically, they, God said, leave, they left. They turned away. Like, again, I, I see a real practical expression here of repentance. <laughs> they, they believed him. They turned their backs, they literally left, and they went God's way. Like, what a beautiful picture of repentance, hey? Um, so again, at this point, I don't know if we said this yet, but Abram and Sarai had no children. They were, they were old, 75 years, I think we just read there, at this time. Well past child-rearing years. Uh, and yet God made this astounding promise that they would have more descendants. He said, look at the stars if you can count them, so you can count your descendants. Basically, you won't be able to count your descendants. And, and here they are, age, no kids. When you think back of creation, is anything impossible with God? What did he make creation out of? He had a recipe book and a, a little bit of sand and oxygen and fire. and Nothing. He started, with, he started from nothing. Nothing's impossible with God. So he, he, his promises are sure. They believed him and his promises. Let's see how, how God in his love honored Abram's obedience. <clears throat> uh, Gen go back to Genesis there, Genesis 15. Um, how did God, God honor this relationship? It says in Genesis 15 verse 6. Actually, someone read that for me. doesn't say because of his faith. I guess Tony read that earlier. What version do you have? CSP. NIV doesn't say because of his faith either. Okay. Credit to him as his righteousness. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, believe the Lord. Counted to him as righteous, and then mine finishes because of his faith. What is yours? I think this is NLT? Yeah. Pretty sure it's NLT. Um, so yeah, it states that Abram believed the Lord, so he responded in faith. 
to what God revealed to him, and as a result, God declared him as righteous. In Genesis 17, the title even says it right there, kind of a giveaway. Spoiler alert, Abraham's name is changed to Abraham. And God changes Sarah's, Sarai's name to Sarah, so I can finally say it the way I really want to say it. <laughs> Their sin was covered. Oh yeah, I meant to go look for more straws, but only have one. <clears throat> well, here's a funny question. So their, their, their sin debt here was covered because they were forward-looking, they were trusting God in his plan and his deliverer. So, you know, because they're married, I, I could put both of their, both of their, both their sin debts into one faith, right? Like Abraham, because he's like the leader, covered his wife's faith, right? Or uh, sin, right? Is that right? Like the faith of like, if my dad was a pastor, I'm good. No? Why not? <laughs> you want me to try? I could really try. 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 The sin is too big for one faith, one person's faith. And that's about right. That's about the truth of the matter, isn't it? Every person is, is responsible for their own sin debt. Abram's trusting in God is not going to cover Sarai's uh, sin debt, right? Think of that implications for today. I hear a lot of people when, when I talk to them about you know, me being a Christian or whatever, they're like, well, my, my uncle's a pastor. And like, people really ride on today. People still ride on that, like that there's some merit. Like, oh, it's, it's in my blood. You know, yeah. you know what's in your blood? Sin. Sin nature. Because Abram is your great-granddaddy. Or Adam, I should say. Um, so yeah, I will cover the other two when I get more straws. Oh, but yeah, for now, two, I can also do this. So here we have our sin debt chart. Abram. So where does sin go? Where did his sin go in this time? Where is gone it's paid for has it been yeah we just keep, we we touched on this last week i think it was this forbearance or two weeks ago yeah it's covered again god they were forward looking to the deliverer god being all-knowing all-seeing knew that what they were putting their trust in and we know what that was going to complete when we get there i won't spoil that one yet because you guys don't know <laughs> don't have a clue Good, good. I'm glad you guys are glad I can keep you in the dark a little longer. No, I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, their sin was covered, not, not dealt with, but covered because of their faith, not removed or paid for at this point because the deliverer who could do this had not yet come. Um, so their, their <coughs> sin debt's covered. Uh, Hebrews 11.11, 11, you can uh, fact check me with the faith of uh, Sarah. And... Uh, so as they walked in obedience to God's word, they trusted him fully. Uh, and this was shown, we see it practically, and, and we see their spiritual lives were in God's care going forward here. Um, so let's contrast this a bit. I always have a hard time saying that word. Contrast, contrast, contrast. Where do you put the emphasis? <laughs> so Abraham, Sarah, and Lot, they gave up their comfort and security, family, friends, 
they rejected the gods and idols of, of their family, like their, his father and their community. When you think of this for us today, what are, what are things that we need to surrender or give up if we too want to follow God? Or as we follow God, perhaps, for some of us. So, so just like Abraham, he had to reject all these things. It was, a, it was a picture of repentance and faith. What are things today, either for you, you want to share, or things you even see in our society and our culture around us today um, that we'll have to give up to choose to follow God? Good way outweighs the bad. encapsulate that again? Good merit, or merit, did you say? That our good will ultimately be our bad. Good outweigh bad. Our life plans. Yeah, our, our own plans, our life plans. Kind of to be our own, to be our own ruler, to be our own, you know, think you're choosing your own destiny, whatever. I sometimes think that the one thing that nobody wants to be is nobody. And I think I, I uh, you know, the fact that you would be anonymous or, you know, unnoteworthy or mediocre or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can just, when I think of the list, it could be just a long list of different things that whatever you put up there, right? It can be religion, money, sex, leisure, our own goals as we want to rule our own life. I mean, it could be statues, it could be saints. It can be animals, it can be nature. Comfort, free time. Comfort, free time, yeah. Hunting. Hunting, yeah. If you misprioritize these things. Totally. Centeredness, yeah. I mean, and don't don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that we need to first polish ourselves up to make us as good as possible before we can be accepted. I'm not trying to communicate that. Um, 
this, this is things that, that you would leave because you see that God's way is so superior to anything you would ever want to pursue. Like Abraham left all those things that he was raised in, these idols, this idol worship that his father was doing. He left it. We too, when you see the goodness, the greatness of God, you leave what is not of him. So God honored, we see here in that 15 verse 6 of Genesis, God honored Abram's obedience to follow him. And the same stands before us today. Will we, will we humbly submit to God's word in obedience and come God's way, which is by faith? Or will, we, or will we continue in pride, saying, God, you're not good. We don't need you. I'm my own ruler. I'm in control of my own destiny. And be disobedient to God. Remain in rebellion. If we come God's way, then as we've studied in his word, he will accept us just as he accepted Abel, just as he accepted Noah and Enoch and Abram and Sarah and Lot. Anything to say on that? Okay. God will continue to see how he's faithful to his promises, he's faithful to his word, to what he decrees, to his holiness. In Genesis, I just want to kind of summarize this next chunk here. In Genesis, because I'm not going to read five chapters to you right now, but 12 through 18, um, there's, there's the historical account of what happened to Abraham, Sarah, and Lot. And this is just a quick summary. God eventually led Abraham to the land of Canaan, but soon there was a dispute between Abraham's shepherds and Lot's because of a lack of grass and water. Um, there was contention between the herdsmen. And Abram offered Lot a choice. What was that choice? You guys remember? Where do you want to go? Let's split up. Yeah. Pick somewhere. Pick somewhere. Um, he was truly kind, unselfish. So they separated. Lot moved to the, the well-watered plains of the Jordan. Um, and sadly, he thought, selfishly, he thought about his wealth, he thought about his gain. Does that, does that strike any of you, like given the relationship and especially in that time and culture of an uncle and a nephew? Is there anything weird there to you guys? That's what I think. Seems backwards. Who's the elder? Abraham, right? I mean, he is elder. He's his uncle. He's uh. I think. I mean, I guess there are cases when aunts and uncles are younger than, uh, but I'm pretty sure Abraham is, is older. And so it kind of seems backwards that, his, that Lot wouldn't have said, oh, uncle, like, you choose. I'm following you. It's, you know, it's, the promise is, is on you. But no, he, he took a selfish response and, and said, all right. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I'm going to go for the best. I'm going to take the best. You know, maybe he should have said, you know what, uncle? Thanks for giving me the choice. I'll choose the worst since you gave me first pick. You go take that. Speculation. But it just seems backwards. And, but it does, I think, reveal, again, speculatively at this point, but it kind of reveals how his, his thinking works lots. Um, just selfishly. Um, so he didn't think of the evil where he was choosing to go near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it, it says in these chapters here that he even set up his tents near Sodom is how it begins. So in Genesis 13, 13, just back up a page there. 
It says, But the people of this area, speaking of Sodom, were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. So they are great sinners. They are really good at it, it seems like. Go to... Actually, we've got it right. Do I have it here? Um, Genesis chapter 18, 2021. I have it on the projector as well. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So the Lord said, Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, I will go and see. As you keep reading, which I don't have on the, on the projector there, um, after 21, the other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And, he, and the Lord replied, If I find fifty righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only forty-five righteous people rather than fifty. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it, destroy it for the sake of 40. Please, don't be angry, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Continues on here. 20. Down. Do not be angry if I speak one more time. Ten. For the sake of ten, the Lord says, I will not. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Wow. Seems evident to Abraham that God is intending to sweep them away, destroy them, destroy these peoples of Sodom and Gomorrah. We see a very open relationship here with, with God and Abraham. Abraham continually, humbly petitions, what if, what if? He's confident, knowing the God he's serving, of his character traits, his gracious, loving, mercy, kindness. He has enough of a trusting relationship with God, it seems like, that he, he has the confidence to ask these questions. So while this is going on, where is Lot? Yeah. Yeah, and he's going to move a little closer... Go to 19, verse 1 of Genesis. <laughs> yeah. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there. When he saw them, he stood up to meet them and welcomed them, bowed his face to the ground. So yeah, he's at the city, right in there, at the city gates. Lot invites the angels to come into his home. How did he get to this point? What happened? His tent began at close to Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom, sitting by the city gate. It looks like 
that's a position of some sort of authority, some sort of responsibility. Is he a leader? Is he an elder? It, ha- it has connotations of that. What a poor series of incremental choices. So the next couple verses there, we see the two angels sent by God to this city. Verse 2, My Lord, he said, Lot said, Come to my home, wash your feet, be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way. Oh no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. So he invited them in, probably a cultural hospitality thing. Um, keep reading a couple more verses here. Verse 4, uh, we'll go 4 to 8. But before they retired for the night, all the men of, men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please, leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. What just happened? You are somebody who has a daughter. This is one of the most offensive um, things in the whole world. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's too close to home. What, what, what is Lot's solution to these men banging at his door? What does it say there? Yeah. Yeah, take my daughters. He slid a long way from God's word. And he was bearing the consequences for his choice, those incremental choices. Selfishly choosing the plains of Jordan, camping near Sodom going inside, taking a position of leadership. And it's interesting, he calls those people banging on his door brothers. I don't know if all the translations say that, but that just kind of caught my eye that time. Brothers. (laughs) I'd be like, perverts, sickos, wicked people. Not, I wouldn't be saying brothers at that point in time. So again, there's an indication of some greater relationship. So these people of Sodom, they were, they were sexually sinful, they were immoral, they were proud, they had this homosexual activity, promiscuity, lust just were driving them, their total sin nature, just in rampage. Notice how God very clearly pronounces judgment in verse, uh, I think it's 13. So yeah, the... Uh, so the angel speaking, verse 13, we are bu- for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry is so great against this place, it has reached Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. Any questions? Any doubt? God is very clear in what's going to happen here. The angels were sent to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. All the way through God's word, God has declared himself as holy. Sin has consequences. He's the owner. He's the final authority. He's the final ruler, the ultimate ruler. Therefore, he has authority to judge appropriately here. Is he being unfair? Is God acting uh, unkindly? 
There are consequences for sin. This is just going to be a repeat pattern. We're going to see it again and again. So this, this judgment, it's going to immediately affect them. Eternally, right now, and eternally, if they don't genuinely repent and come by way of faith. And it's not looking good when, when uh, Abraham dwindled it down to 10. Did, what, did he stop at 10? Yeah. So God was being merciful and gracious to Lot, sending the angels to him to get his family out. God didn't have to do this. Again, his mercy and grace was at display here. Um, Lot was told to flee the city with his wife and his, and his daughters, not to look back. Um, where does it say? The angels, they're insistent. Hurry, they tell him. Like, so he's not even convinced in, in verse 15 there. Um, and then it says 16, he still hesitated. The angels seized his hand. Good night. After he had just experienced <clears throat> trying to give up his daughters and then coming to gang rape. Yeah. Like after that, he's still like, well, I don't know. Yeah. And it says also the hands of his wife, the hands of his daughters, and the angels rushed them safely outside the city. For the Lord was merciful, it says there, ending in six, uh, verse 16. And then they were warned. Don't look back. So up to this point, why didn't God immediately destroy Sodom? Actually, maybe I'm running ahead of myself. I should go to verse 22. What does it say? So they, they're, they're out of the city. They're in a little, they're in a little village close to the city, what does it say in verse 22? Yeah. Yeah. Because the angel let him decide to go to a little city instead of just running up the mountain. Yeah. He still kind of wasn't like... Lot is still hesitant to really <coughs> let go and run. And, but what I want to focus in is I can do nothing until the angel is saying until you arrive there. The city wasn't going to be destroyed because Lot was there. Lot, who was declared righteous. Uh, in in uh, 2 Peter 2.7, write it down, look it up right now if you want. It doesn't make sense to us in light of Lot's actions, his, his backsliding, his, his uh, you know, at the city gate, calling these, these perverts his brothers. Um, he offers his daughter to be molested and who knows what else. But yeah, in 2 Peter 2.7, God explains why he, he couldn't destroy Sodom with Lot in it. Namely, Lot was viewed by God as righteous. This, not, this might not make sense to us as we read it, especially right here in, in this part of Genesis. But there had to have been a time, and maybe it was when he stepped out with his, with his uncle and, and aunt, a point in time when, by God's grace, Lot believed God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he was still bothered, but yet he was comfortable. He was comfortable with... It's like I just read... I feel like we read that in that book, Dangerous Calling. It's like too often, even today, they talked... We're, we're, we're comfortable with what needs to change. And we don't change it. And that's like a lot. It, it bothered him, but he lived... He still lived there. He didn't leave. 
And he hesitated to leave, even when he was told he was going to be destroyed. And then when he was led by the hands of angels, I don't know, maybe they looked like normal men, I'm not sure, uh, but it seemed like they traveled pretty quick <laughs> to a nearby village, but he still wanted to stay close, not like, good grief. You know, like he has this righteous idea that he's got to protect these angels from yeah. these men in the city, you know, which is um, good, and yet his solution is just terrible. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he obviously has some feeling that what they're intending to do is, is evil. It's like he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like this, it's like this dichotomy, this oxymoron that's at play. Like, yeah, we see that in Peter, but then we don't see any action out of it. Like, Yeah. But then he just did something else really stupid. Well, and you know, he, you know, uh, Revelation has been progressive, right? He doesn't have God's word to guide him. You know, if you you are someone with faith and you have the Bible to read and you can understand much more about God's character, what he does and doesn't like, you know, you should, in theory, be able to do better at it than Lot with what he knew. Right. Uh, which would have been, I'm assuming, a lot less. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure, though, like, giving your daughters to, like, a bunch <laughs> of men, <laughs> you don't need a whole lot of revelation there. But culturally, there was a different... Different tone, yeah. different landscape, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm not trying to defend a liar. Right. I know, yeah. Get to that culture, get to that time period for sure. I mean, we've seen from earlier Bible verses about Abel and Noah and Abraham that that faith is key, a key component of someone being viewed by by God as righteous. We continually see that in Hebrews 11. And, And this is righteousness, it's permanent. I mean, a lot of people struggle at this point. They say, oh, if Lot died here, where would he have gone? I've been with groups that have grappled with that. Maybe you grapple with that. But God counted him as righteous, and that's why the city wasn't destroyed. Um, So this whole idea of backsliding and and where are you? Are you in? Are you out? Are you saved and then not saved? I mean, with, with uh, Lot here, we, we're, we're getting an indication of permanence. Not on, obviously, not on his goodness. So, that righteousness is because God declared it. It's interesting that both Abraham and uh, Lot behaved in the same way when they saw the man. They must have seen something about them, because um, Abraham's like, please don't pass me by. And he bows down before them. Hmm. Lot does the same thing. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. yeah. There must have been something more. 
Um, so all the way through scripture, or sorry, even though Lot was declared righteous, this wasn't a license for him to sin. It wasn't like he got his token, he can continue living on as he wished. He faced the consequences of his sin. I mean, he didn't experience, like he didn't, he, he was still righteous, but um, he lost kind of his life in, in the sense of his, what he had, his house, his possessions, whatever. But before God, he was still righteous. Um, and again, just this cycle of all the way through scripture, God had said, or God has laid out repentance and faith, accepted by him, declared righteous. Again and again, and we're seeing that labeled here over Lot. Um, we can only escape the consequences of our sin through God's provision, through God's grace, through coming God's way. So we, like Lot, we don't deserve it. That's God's grace. But God graciously offers an escape, pointing to the deliverer, the rescuer. He calls all humanity to repent and believe in his deliverer, to accept him or reject him. But they bear the full consequences if they reject God or try to come a different way, like Cain tried to come a different way. On the ark, how many ways was there? How many doors was there? Noah's ark. One boat, one door, God, and God closed the door. God opened the door. How do people think today that they won't be judged or that God won't judge them? I mean, we, we're seeing a pattern now of, of ignorance or, or people are ignoring. So with the flood, I'm just going to pretend like Noah's message is, is obsolete. It's not pertinent. You know, Tower of Babel, like, yeah, God said that, but he didn't really mean it. Um, and now Sodom and Gomorrah, a very real depiction of God's wrath and judgment poured out on how he views and judges sin rightly and justly. So we see these people trying to defy the living God, thinking they won't be judged. How about today? How do people live in, in a way that they believe they won't be judged? What are indicators or what do you guys see? What jumps out at you? Well, I think that's just like Noah, yeah. yeah. They just continued living. Yeah. They do it like, I guess, people do it the right of their own opposite. Yeah. I've, I've heard people also say, like, I'm going to live my life now, and if what you believe is true, you know, maybe when I settle down, then I'll, then I'll believe in God. I'll believe that whatever the Christian message is. But did... Uh, was it in uh, Noah's eye calendar that, uh, you know, with a one-week heads up that uh, the flood's coming? Or, or was it in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah's uh, calendar that this is the day that fire is going to rain down? City planning. City planning. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know when God's judgment will come on a place or on a person, sort of when your days are up, when your numbers are up, when your number's called. There's also those that believe that even up to the point of like going up the, the classic picture of the, the pearly gates and, and uh, right. Peter there. It's like once you're in front of them, you can have like this another chance. And it's like, so I'll, I'll live my life now. And then when I get up there, then 
I'll be able to talk my way into heaven or I'll be able to right. choose then. Yeah. If you say what is true is true. Yeah. And we'll get there with, with uh, Lazarus and the rich man. And yeah. Or like Tony said, then I can convince, you know, then I did enough good things to outweigh the bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we don't see, I mean, we, God is gracious in that we see in these stories, he gives, he gives warning. Um, with, Lot, with Lot, it wasn't so much, he wasn't, didn't seem like he was a preacher of righteousness like Noah was, but he knew truth. He knew a degree of truth. Um, and it didn't seem like he was proclaiming it. <laughs> I don't, we don't have anything to, to indicate that. Um, so it, it, it's a warning to all of us. Take heed. I mean, again, I'm not... If you're teaching this in a bigger group, I, I feel like I know a lot of you guys, but it's like you don't know where somebody is at, right? You don't... So it's an encouragement to, to call out to God today, you know? I guess one more would be, you know, the saying, if God just knew what I've been through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you could see it from my end, Hmm. So what? How does that push against the truth we've been learning? Well, he does, for one. And and how do we see that through the words so far? Besides, just he does, because someone would be like, "Well, no, he doesn't." <coughs> well, he knows everything. He made us, um, and uh, I guess since he's holy. Mm-hmm. I think too with creation, the order in which he made it, like you think of if I had to build a house, I, I'd probably like, you know, get the electrical in before I had to put the, before I put the insulation in and be like, oh, and then someone would come along and tell me, no, 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 you got to do the other way or whatever. I'd put the vapor barrier on before I put the insulation in and be like, no, 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 because I'm not all knowing. I don't know even that much about house building, but when God created the world, he made it in the exact order it needed to be in with the exact quantities of whatever gases and whatever other matter because he is all-knowing. That proves to us that he's all-knowing. So how can you say, I know you're not saying this, but how could a person say he doesn't know what I've been through? The one who knew exactly how to create the universe and hold everything in place. Well, I guess it, and, and it, it sets him up as being like a father who didn't give very much. Right. Or it's yeah. one thing to set things in motion, but it's another thing to be like intricately involved in it. That's right. You get that idea of God created it and then just said, good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from all these accounts, we see that God was still intimately involved. Yeah. I mean, the coming down, it don't, it, don't get mistook. He, he was there. But we were t- it's this idea of this special, kind of this special presence, this special, yeah, however you would call it. Yeah, and then, so then there's another plug for foundational Bible learning. How can you how can you kind of like tackle it up here with somebody if they haven't even yet understood that they are owned by somebody, but they're in rebellion? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another plug right there for taking the time with people. I have an atheist friend who just can't believe in that there's a God that created everything, 
And so it's it's hard because it's so obvious. <laughs> I mean, it seems it seems so obvious that there's a God that created everything, but she just can't yet. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's what do you need to do with that? <coughs> if tell them it anyway. Well, but take it back one more step. How do you establish the authority of the word? Yeah, how do you do that? You got I think yeah, it's a <laughs> Okay, what do we do here, guys? <laughs> yeah, it I mean you you, you got to just show the proof it. I mean, you can talk about the archaeology, you can talk about the the inerrancy, you can you can pull up I think a lot of stuff online now that'll help show just like the, the consistency, the harmony of the scripture. I mean, you can't prove it without a shadow of a doubt. We know that's not faith. Um, but you can lay, a, you can lay a, a, an astounding case. And then, of course, what, that it, God inspired it. If you can get him to that point, okay, I'll, I believe, okay, I believe it's a good book. It's a very, very good book. But then, and now walk them through. God was always there. He inspired men to write it, but he was the author. Yeah, because you can't, even that, like you're saying, well, I don't even believe he created. So I, that person, you still need to go back more. You know, you kind of, there's more groundwork to be done. And, and it, of course, it's based in prayer. <laughs> it's based in prayer because there's got to be miraculous working under the surface. Well, you also have another, like, you get, you're working your way back, but you can also work your way forward to bring it to the point of who Jesus Christ was. Because the, the man of Jesus is an undisputed, vastly undisputed fact that there was a man named Judas, uh, Jesus who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Those, those are historical facts. So it's just the idea of look at the events surrounding who the man of Jesus was mm-hmm. and the idea of how culture was shaped, how the disciples acted, what went forth after his death. How do you explain such a change in an entire group of people? It's like you have to either... Because if you reject the idea of like going working your way back, if you still reject the idea of like, well, oh, I don't believe what the book says, bring it to Jesus. And the idea, if they still reject that his resurrection happened, it's kind of the same point. Those are your two main ideas within Scripture. Because mm-hmm. if you get to the point of like, okay, well, maybe what Jesus did claim was true, then you can work back again and say, like, well, look, from that point, now let's go back to the start because now yeah. we have a basis and so you can kind of go both ways yeah yeah for sure um a new resource that i kind of recently learned about which you could check out uh it's called tetelestai it's also a foundational learning it's but it's a video thing it's i think 12 videos are all about 30 minutes each it does cost but i watched the first couple so far i could loan you um but the first one does also a good job of like yeah let's establish that the bible is trustworthy and then from there we can move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay, wrapping up. <clears throat> um, we talked tonight about God is being faithful to his promises. <clears throat> we touched on promises that you guys know in God's word that you hold on to, some favorites. Um, maybe there's promises that some of you also touched on and others that didn't share but uh, that you've struggled to trust or believe in. Um, but what, what are we seeing in God's word up to this point? Does he deliver on his promise? Does he deliver on his word? Or does he, does he ever 
has he changed in what he said he would do, declared he would do, and did? And then we also talked about things that we need to surrender or maybe things that people struggle to give up to follow God, the idols, the, the, mis, uh, the wrong priorities. Abraham rejected other gods and came God's way. Um, I believe we are called, the word tells us the same, same thing, God calls us. Repent, believe uh, in the deliverer, Jesus Christ. Um, people kind of have this ignorance, like in Sodom's day or in uh, Noah's day, that they won't be judged. We see God judges. We saw the play out. It did happen. Um, yeah, so just again and again, we keep seeing that God is faithful all through, not only to his promises. That's that's what this that's what we're emphasizing this lesson. But God is is faithful to to His holiness, to His justice, to His mercy, grace, and He keeps them all in such perfect tension. Not that any of us could. And <laughs> no no sin goes unchecked. So yeah, what in closing, what what um, we have looked at what God asked Abraham to do: leave much of what he knew, follow God into the unknown. Abraham and Sarah's faith. Uh, we learned about God declaring Lot as righteous. God had saved him, it appears, uh, but his wife was destroyed for looking back. We didn't actually read that verse, but it's right there. Um, we saw this. We've seen now multiple pictures of historical uh, God's historical judgment on and wrath carried out on places on people for their sins, and yet He's merciful and gracious. He saved Lot. Um, he does not let, in his holiness, sin go unpunished. He is just and he's loving. Um, and as Abraham and Lot entered into a relationship with God by faith, obeying him, it's the same for us today. God asks for us to obey him, to submit to his word. And so we ask, we ask all people, will we, will you also live and daily choose to stand on what God has shown and promised in his word? So you guys, I just continue to encourage you to, to share, share what you're learning here through God's word with others. Continue to bring people on the journey with you guys as God has placed us in each our unique circles of influence. Um, I joked about the chairs tonight, you know, th- that you bring more people, but just in terms of your circle of influence, let, let what you're being impacted with God's word, I'm not saying necessarily just here, but as God impacts your heart through his word, let it spill over to people who would never have a chance to hear otherwise unless you are faithful to God leading and guiding your conversation with people. I think I ended there with uh, 
a couple things in your book there. True life and freedom comes from living in submission to God and worshiping him alone. And how much of God's covenant to send the deliverer is dependent on us? Nothing. All of God. The end. Questions or comments, concerns?